Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Content Director with ACG's Media Group. Today's episode is part of our podcast series with RSM about business performance optimization. In the four episodes of the series, we'll look at cybersecurity, information technology, finance, and human capital, and talk about what's changing within each of these functions and how to improve them to enhance the overall business performance. The series is sponsored by RSM, a leading audit tax and consulting firm focused on the middle market. Each of our episodes is featuring an RSM professional talking about their area of expertise and insights from their work with private equity firms and middle market companies. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Marnie Rosen, Director of Management Consulting for Human Capital at RSM. She's here to talk about talent and human capital. Marnie, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Katie, for having me. So I've been starting these conversations in this series by asking each of my guests from RSM about the development from the past two years that you'd point to as having had the biggest impact. Um, so in, in your area, human capital and talent management, um, what would you say those developments are? It's a great question. I think we all have felt some of the impact of the last two years as it relates to the pandemic and and the shifts around talent. So um, while many organizations have recovered from that initial impact from from needing to respond to some of that crisis management around the pandemic and, and starting to level out, there's certainly been a shift from the employee perspective and thinking about what they're looking for, what their experience needs to be at an organization, and really what they expect from the company that they're working for. Um, So there are a lot of things that have changed around employees' priorities. So things like flexibility, career pathing, uh, diversity, that is really contributing to what we're seeing as most are talking about the great resignation. Um, It's no wonder that we're really seeing a flood of individuals that are leaving, either going out of the workforce or moving to new opportunities. Um, As we know, there has been the highest churn and attrition is uh, in the US is, is, is workers are leaving at a rapid pace. There were 4 million workers that left their uh, jobs in the summer and fall every single month. So that's what companies are having to deal with and then wondering how they combat it. And it's a very challenging uh, thing because when you look at organizations that are facing a lot of attrition, they're also facing skill gaps internally and trying to determine how they could retain the workforce that they do have and ensure that they have an experience that is, is meaningful so that way they can keep them sticky to the organization. Uh, and, and remote work, um, as we are seeing really come into view here, is being something that's going to stay. And a lot of companies that uh, historically hadn't had any type of remote workforce are now shifting to more of a hybrid model. Uh, and what we're seeing in the middle market is that about a third of companies now have some type of remote workforce and about 50% of those companies intend to keep it long-term. So that's something that's gonna be here to stay. How we manage a remote workforce becomes more more challenging or can be more challenging and finding ways to keep the workforce engaged is something that organizations really need to to focus on. So um, there has to be an acceptance for that shift on how you balance both needing to potentially be in the office sometimes, but also employees who want that flexibility. Those are some of the biggest things that have occurred over the last two years. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of these, I think, are you know being felt across industries. You know, certainly the the Great Resignation hasn't been concentrated in any one place necessarily. A lot of businesses are having to grapple with this, and same with the you know shifting worker priorities that you pointed to. Um, but I do wonder if you've observed any differences across industries and in how these trends are are impacting them. We have seen some differences across industry, but we've also seen some differences where you look at the size of company um, and where we focus in the middle market. You see most of, of the organizations who are less than a thousand employees, they are struggling particularly in this environment uh, and, and not being able to level off in the churn since it's been surging uh, from, from 2020 and not being able to catch up to their larger peer group, which is companies of a thousand employees and higher. Um, And those have, those organizations have seen uh, attrition level out now over the course of the the pandemic. So those smaller companies, they face uh, challenges in in needing to both attract and retain workers. Um, So particularly in that space, I think we've seen a, a variation. And then when we look at Uh, industries, there are a few other uh, unique challenges that companies in manufacturing and and distribution are facing. Uh, So uh, we talk about attrition here, but there's also the concept of the aging workforce. And you see baby boomers on a a much higher scale leaving the workforce entirely. There were uh, 3 million baby boomers that left the workforce over the last two years. Um, and that's where in, in organizations like manufacturing and distribution companies where you've had that type of workforce and no succession plan around it, it becomes very challenging then and creates these skill vac- vacuums that need to be uh, remediated. So that's one area. Um, there are some other industries that have actually fared fairly well, like in technology, where those organizations have been used to working remotely and didn't have much of a shift, but their talent is very in demand. So uh, the the turnover rates that you see in the technology vertical um, are very high and they're needing to think about how they differentiate um, where some companies are looking at flexibility and remote work as a bonus and a plus in other industries, um, technology and, and industries that had previously been remote are needing to find other motivators to bring talent to the organization. Hmm. And I mean, it seems like over the past couple of years, human capital and culture have just gotten a lot more attention, you know, because of the great resignation and the difficulties around um, attracting and retaining talent. So I'm interested, Marnie, whether this has led to any change in the M&A process, perhaps in terms of how buyers are evaluating a target, what they're focusing on during due diligence. Are you seeing any shifts around M&A? It's interesting because most uh, PE firms haven't historically done operational due diligence. And if they are doing um, operational due diligence, it's not focused in HR. And that creates a significant risk because the Uh, most impactful issue to a deal is generally culture. Um, Culture was recognized as the the highest risk to integration uh, and therefore being able to look at that pre-deal and and do due diligence around that on a potential target is really important. 
Um, it creates the opportunity to avoid and mitigate some of that risk while also understanding the, uh, the, the business of the target when it's really critical to see what leadership is there, um, what the, the roles are and the people that you need for the future and making sure that you have the right people to, to steer the ship. Um, doing that on the front end and being able to evaluate that can really help to avoid any of the pitfalls that you would typically see related to, to people and talent um, after you've actually gone through an acquisition. Mm-hmm. And are there any other you know, human capital related areas that you'd point to as being critical to focus on during a deal or maybe that like tend to get overlooked but deserve more attention? A lot of the work that we do with our clients is really to think about as you acquire and integrate how you harmonize both business processes, policies, and technology. In a lot of cases, there's not always thought given to that. And you can end up with having a lot of disparity where you have, especially in HR, you know, multiple benefit plans and variations of policy and different ways to do things and no accountability for a process. And then on top of that, you have disparate systems. So if you have multiple HR systems or multiple finance systems, there's no one source of truth. Uh, And that's really challenging for PE firms when they are not able to get get data that they need and not be able to look at even a complete census for for what is your employee count. Um, So looking at that beforehand in order to harmonize what, what you need to and build a plan around that day one readiness and even what you do day 100 and and day 365, that roadmap becomes critically important to focus on. So we found that when you do that on the front end and you have a strategy around what is my operating model going to look like, who are the people that are going to be in leadership roles, what am I going to harmonize across businesses, uh, that can enable success and, and make it much smoother. And in turn, really minimize the disruption to the business. So there is um, there is a renewed focus on change management and making sure that there's a thought process around that. How do you make, think through the employee experience and making sure that uh, whatever change you're going through related to a transaction isn't going to impact negatively with a, a ton of change and not being fully thought out and communicated. Which I would imagine would be especially important right now where like change is scary at any point, but especially in a moment like this where I think employees do feel like they they are empowered to leave or go find another position. Um, if you don't handle that well, you're probably at an even greater risk than you would have been years ago just of, of folks leaving. Right, exactly. And uh the, a lot of organizations look at things like retention bonuses to be able to keep those key leaders at the organization, at least through a deal, but it's not hugely helpful if they leave as soon as they collect that retention bonus, if they don't see the opportunity long-term at the organization and you lose all of that knowledge and it really is an, an investment on the front end, but then has ramifications if those folks actually leave the organization. So um it really does need to be focused on. And so then post-transaction, it sounds like, you know, part of the work is implementing the plan that, as you just suggested, the firm should be coming up with, you know, ahead of the deal, the private equity firm looking at how they can harmonize some of these processes. Um, What else, you know, should leaders be doing 
post-transaction um, to better leverage human capital as a way to, to optimize the business after an acquisition? One of the key things is really to think about how to align culture. Um, and, and one of the things that is uh, defines that is how you communicate and how your leaders are really going to establish what those cultural pillars are. What, it, what is the vision for the future company? Um, that, those things are areas that are not always uh, maybe, maybe don't have consensus around what those things should be. So driving communication and transparency and making sure that there is a plan around that. Um, as you said, a lot of times when employees feel that they have no control or they're in the dark or they don't know what's going on, that can contribute to toxic culture um, where they don't, they don't have trust in the organization. They don't feel that they're supported. They're afraid of what's going to happen next and uh, giving some thought into the culture that you're, you're going to build in, in the future state organization is really important. You know, what are, what are you going to stand for? What are employees going to buy into? So we think about it as the employee value proposition, both internally and externally. Those are critical things that are, uh, impactful, not only for the folks that you're trying to recruit to the organization, but the folks that you have, they need to be tied into what that employee value proposition is. And where does some of the work we've been talking about around human capital and talent management, where does that fall? How, how much of that should rest on the shoulders of HR versus you know, maybe non-HR executives um, as they lead the, the organization? Mm-hmm. As you've heard me say a number of times around the leadership, tone at the top is really important. And HR needs to be a strategic partner to those leaders. So it is really important that HR has a seat at the table and is driving that strategy, but they also need to drive accountability with their leadership. So uh, HR can help to shape and manage what those initiatives are, put frameworks in place, help to define what that vision is. But ultimately, there's a responsibility for uh, leaders and, and even all the way down to uh, transcending that to frontline managers to carry those things forward. So everyone really has a role to play, um, but HR is the glue that keeps it together and needs to be really forward thinking around um, how, how they are going to be strategically aligned to the business versus being really reactive. So there are times when uh, you know HR can can get stuck in firefighting mode or get stuck in really the the tactical nature of what we see in in HR. Um, But being able to elevate that and have alignment with leadership and really think strategically about what you need in the the future, what do we need in a year and two years and three years versus what are we gonna transact right now is the way to to elevate HR. I'm hearing you suggest it sounds like, you know, HR professionals, you said, need to be proactive, maybe innovative in a way that maybe they didn't need to be before, or at least it was um, there was less pressure. So I, I wonder if you've seen any change in the resources that are allocated to HR or other talent management roles um, as human capital, you know, gets this this greater focus put upon it. HR is really feeling a strain right now, especially right now, because 
Uh, not only do they have their day jobs of helping to run the human resources function of the business, but they also are in crisis mode a lot of the times and needing to respond to all of the changing regulation that's coming out, needing to manage through how you respond to uh, COVID and COVID tracking and triaging all of the things that are coming at them constantly. And it becomes very hard to manage uh, the, the three pieces. So running the business as usual tasks, the compliance and the challenges of being able to, to support the workforce with all the regulatory pieces, and then the strategic pieces that we just talked about, which sometimes aren't prioritized. So we are really seeing a focus around how you can alleviate some of that uh, maybe lower value tasks that HR does. Um, some companies are looking at outsourcing to do that and pull in uh, resources from other vendors that can take some of that burden off HR while they invest in other skills for their HR team, including things like uh, you know, wellness and coaching and having HR really be a pillar of that. We've seen some organizations that have added those, those roles to the HR team. So this way they can drive what um, employee wellness is going to need to look like. The other pieces are uh, within diversity and inclusion and, and the priorities as we talked about shifting for employees, most are now really focused on joining an organization that is diverse that has inclusive leadership. And those are um, areas that sometimes fall, a lot of times fall into HR's wheelhouse. So HR is really needing to lead out on what those diversity and inclusion initiatives are, uh, learn new skills around that, how they can overcome you know, biases within the organization and drive out on those pieces. So we are seeing a significant investment around DNI, um, ESG programs that HR has a role in. And I want to go back to your point about outsourcing. That was a theme that's um, come up in mm -hmm. the conversations with your colleagues in cybersecurity, in IT, in finance. Um, it seems like really across the organization, outsourcing is being used as a way to kind of mitigate some of the um, talent shortages that companies across the board are facing. Um, so I wondered if you could talk about the use of outsourcing as a, a strategy right now or you know, other techniques that companies are using to bridge the talent gap, both in HR as well as you know, more widely across the organization. Sure. Um, and outsourcing generally has been used in HR to take the burden of the actual transactions, the pressing the button, if you will. So being able to outsource things like payroll administration, benefits administration, um, things like helpline for password reset, some of the things that you may have heard my colleagues say. Um, there are other ways that organizations are looking to uh, organize around uh, RPA, robotics process automation, to drive automation in order to really enable their team members, um, not to replace them, but to enable them to take on uh, more strategic functions or be able to focus on higher value um, areas. And we've seen a lot of organizations deploy bots or cobots to take off some of that, that burden from their teams. Anything that's administrative, repeatable, that doesn't really need to have uh, focus from a team member, those are all great things that can be offloaded and ultimately add a lot of value, not needing a headcount to do that. Um, so those are some of the other ways that we're seeing companies respond. Mm -hmm. And before I let you go, Marnie, are there any other 
trends beyond what we've already talked about, you know, within the human capital arena that you expect to really impact businesses in 2022 that investors or operators should be aware of? Yes. Um, One in particular is compensation inflation. So we've talked a lot about um, what's happening in the talent world, but one of the things that is occurring is that compensation is rising. And what we know from um, surveys that we've done for our middle market business index is that 59% of companies intend to raise compensation levels. And that is challenging when you are uh, an operator and you're needing to offset some of that cost. Organizations are trying to think about how to do that. They know that compensation really needs to be aligned to market. So being able to think through what your compensation strategy looks like is something that's going to come into view, but not only what your base salary is, it's also instead of programs, it's equity, it's total rewards. So uh, benefits is a key driver as well. Um, And it's not only health benefits, it's also other fringe benefits. So being creative around that and at the, the forefront of what your employees are looking for, it's really important to listen. It's, it's not always one size fits all. And I think organizations who are seeking out to employees to get their feedback on what they want to see are able to really make good investments around that and being proactive again, rather than reactive is where I, I, I see us going in, in a way that HR can do some of that work and make sure that they're guiding the organization that they work with in order to focus on what's going to be most important because that, that priority can help retain talent. It's an interesting point about the listening to employees, because although it seems obvious, I could imagine, you know, organizations trying to implement benefits because other companies are doing it. But if it's not what the employees really want, it might not be the best spent dollar, you know, that, that they can do. Exactly. Exactly. You don't want to throw, throw money at a problem that's not actually going to solve it. So measurement, the other piece around that is being able to have touch points where you are actually measuring not only from what employees are saying, but also through, through data um, and using things like predictive analytics and AI. Um, that's another area that technology is really evolving in the HR space where you do have predictors of, of who may leave. Sometimes that those are related to being able to look at trends around who hasn't um, had a raise in a number of years or who is not necessarily being recognized for work uh, and, and being able to use some of those data points to see where those gaps are. But also once you make changes to an organization, actually tracking them, what are the metrics that you're going to use to know if they're successful? Uh, so you can actually think through what the root cause issues are and then know if you've actually come out on the other side. Those, those things are really important. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll wrap things up there. Marnie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Katie. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard today, please give us a rating and write a review. It really does go a long way in helping other listeners find out about us. This podcast is produced by the Association for Corporate Growth, the largest membership association for middle market M&A and corporate growth professionals. We host networking events across the world. We publish magazines and special reports and much, much more. 
Learn more about the benefits of membership at acg.org and consider joining us as a member. Last thing, if there is a topic you want to hear us talk about on this podcast, a guest you think would be great, or even if you just have some general feedback you want to share, we would love to hear about it. Please send us a note to editor at acg.org. Thanks again for listening. 